Welcome to Beauty Will Save the World. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Susie Solabeev. I am a narrative consultant working for myself, a cradle Orthodox Christian from a convert family, married to Gregory. We have one daughter. We live outside of Boston, and I read way too many books. I'm Rebecca Lonovich. I love the Orthodox Christian Church, and I want to share conversations here about the faith from our hybrid cradle-convert perspective. I'm married to Victor, the best person in the world, and together we have three sons and live in the Pennsylvania wilds. This podcast is about faith and friendship, family and food, feminism, books, Netflix, art, and music. All the things. Most of all, it is about our experiences of beauty that brings us deeper into the love of God. All right, well, we'll see if it sounds good. Do you notice my list when I talk to you in real life? I have noticed that you have a particular way of speaking. I don't think that I would have designated a list, but yeah, I noticed that there was something. But like, huh. not it's not something you should worry about because everybody has their own way of speaking. Like, I can't say the word ruined for the, correctly, apparently, ever. <laughs> have you heard about this? <laughs> Think of 30 Rock and the Rule Juror. Do you know that episode? I vaguely remember it. <laughs> How do you say ruined? What's the deal? I say ruined and I can't stop it. It's, I can't say ruined or however you people say it. I always say ruined. And I think I recently figured out why. It came from Haley Mills in The Parent Trap because she's the only other person I have ever heard say it that way. And so she in The Parent Trap is um, a British person pretending to be an American. And yeah. so I think that's where it comes from. Ruined. Like her character is American, but the actress is British, right? Correct. Yeah. I love that movie. It's a great movie. But yeah, that's literally the only place I've ever heard it said. But this is a, this is a pet peeve of Greg's. <laughs> that I can't say it. I also can't say the word museum. I say museum. <laughs> and that comes from my mother and her Southern accent, or so she says. Ah, well, I had a lisp as a child, young child, and I thought I outgrew it, but I think I did not. It's just part of your voice, and your voice is charming, so it is part of your charm. Is it, though? Is yes. it? <laughs> the last thing we need is for you to start worrying about your voice at this point. Yeah. <laughs> your voice is great. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm definitely going to check into speech therapy now. <laughs> we have to re-record the entire podcast. Everything. I have to like re-say everything I ever said in my life to yeah. correct it. And we're back. We are back and better than ever. We were just reviewing our week, guys, when we were rudely cut off by the internet. Silly internet. Yes. Why you gotta be like that? Yes. I just want my Instagram. I just want my YouTubes. I just want my email. Don't want any of your nonsense, internet. All right. Well, um, well, I had a really good interaction with somebody who's a potential client. I volunteered to give three people counsel, like link reviews and resume reviews and on my alumni Facebook group we have like a do-gooder thread every month where you can ask for things and offer things. I offered three reviews of LinkedIn and then I ended up doing this whole free consultation with this woman and at the end she offered to pay me because she enjoyed the session so much and then asked about long-term career counseling so that might be something that she might end up being a client which would be really great because I enjoyed her a lot. 
And if she doesn't, that's fine too. But it's just really nice to see the immediate impact of your work. Like in my work, one of the most rewarding things is seeing people leave feeling hopeful with like an extra spring in their step. And I know that when they're in that frame of mind, they're much more likely to reach their goals. So that was a highlight of my week. What about you? It just went by and like, it felt like nothing happened. That's not true. You did a whole bunch of stuff for the show. Well, yes, I've been working on getting the show together. So, I mean, by the time everybody hears about this, it will be done. But in the meantime, turns out, who knew? There's a lot to getting a podcast on air. And it involves lawyers and bids and copy, not copyrights, that's important, trademarks. And what else? graphic design, elementary graphic design, but still, and just a lot of like hustle and bustle and worry, getting domain names and hiring someone to build a website. And so it's, we're still working on it, but we're hiring someone to build a website. Yeah. Well, the person that he was planning to reach out to is the same priest who built our website for our mission here in St. Mary's. Oh, put that in the show notes. Make sure that you link us to the mission. Well, it's <laughs> the website's not live yet because um, we don't have anything to direct anyone to. So it's sort of dormant right now while we save money to build a chapel. And the plans, I think I told you about them. We got the plans from the architect and they're so beautiful and it, it makes me really excited and also nervous because it's going to be expensive. <laughs> but, um, you know. I think, actually, that's a conversation I would like to have at some point about orthodoxy in America and how we direct our money and our resources, because I do feel like it is sometimes we defer to American or like modern values of efficiency and like economies of scale and lowest cost, um, least expensive. And I don't, I know sometimes it's necessary. There's just no other better options or no other possibilities. But I think that we have to consider bringing the best that we can to God. And so I'm glad, you know, we got, we hired an architect, an actual architect for the plans and that he is himself Russian Orthodox. So he has a deep understanding of what church would need, you know, what kind of dimensions an altar would need, where things would go, even as far as like where frescoes would be and what style and like kind of spacing, you know, things like ventilation, heating vents so that it could be symmetrical and, and beautiful. And I just to think about that, like, you know, going forward, I just like one little thing, right? I hate those Lampada inserts, the glass ones that are covered in like a plastic film to make them colored. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't wash them because the colored plastic starts to peel off and then they just look ruined. And it's okay <laughs> if you can't afford uh, ruby glass or mm-hmm. um, um, something like that to use clear. But maybe we should think about that before we just put something ugly and cheap in the church. Yeah. You know, a little bit more simple is better than something that is very superficially fancy, but ugly and cheap. So that's my two thoughts. Two cents. 
I have more to say about that. I have opinions on everything, Susie. If I don't have an opinion, it's just like, give me a minute. Literally. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions on things, too. Yeah. 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 She said, with no follow-up opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you are wise about expressing them a little bit. Like, you hold back and, like let the conversation continue and bring people's thoughts out before you enter a conversation with your opinions. And I never do that. I don't think I ever do that. I'm always biting my tongue to not jump in and say what I think. And often I don't even bother to bite my tongue. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I have spent a lot of years arguing with people. (laughs) Um, I think actually my theater teaching training is one of the things that really helped me learn how to hold back and listen. Mm -hmm. Um, Being bullied in college helped with that too, for sure. But like working with people in theater school was very formative because my training is in theater and community. So like community, theater community work with a social justice focus. Isn't that funny where the world takes you? Like I didn't, that wasn't totally my intention going into theater school, but that's how it worked out. So much of that work is about not imposing your values on a situation Mm -hmm. and letting people be where they are and learning about the community and letting the community sort things out within itself. Also, you know, my husband has a lot of opinions about, (laughs) he has a lot of opinions too. We're very, and my daughter, oh my goodness, so many opinions. (laughs) Uh, I do get that sense about Ella. (laughs) Yes, for sure. (laughs) I adore her. She's such a strong woman. Yes. Yeah, but my husband has a degree in military history, for those of you who don't know. And he likes to talk a lot about how everything is ultimately tribal warfare. And I think that we do set ourselves in aside in, in tribes, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. And so as an outsider coming into a tribe, it's the most important thing to do is learn about the tribe and let them see that you're trying to learn their ways, and then they'll be receptive to you, no matter what that tribe might be. I thought... He brought everything back to Napoleon. That was like, <laughs> I don't think these days as much. Hello, Susie. Every time we talk, it always comes back to Napoleon. You know, that is true. He does talk about Napoleon a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's got a lot of good things to say. But anyway, so I feel like those two perspectives have made me, there was a time, believe it or not, when I was hesitant to share my opinion. And that was after being bullied in college. But now it more comes from a place of I'm, I'm going to let the other person talk themselves out first, and then that will be my chance. But what if you're talking to someone like me who never talks themselves out? What do you do then? Um, start a podcast with them, right? I'm pretty sure you like listening to me. So, yeah. So then you tell me to do things like interrupt you more. <laughs> I don't know. What were we even talking about before? It was about listening and conversation, and it was about why we're doing this podcast and what I think. I also enjoy that. Let's not pretend that anyone is an immediate candidate for sainthood here. I don't know. I do feel like a lot of times saints tell people what to do and what they think. That That is a thing. That's a fair assessment. I'm not saying that, you know, you should do what I tell you. 
or that <laughs> agree with what I think. I'm just saying that as far as like things that saints do, it's in the realm. I think it's in the realm. That is a fair point And one I'm going to take under advisement. <laughs> okay. I have a confession. To yes. Me. I did not listen to the hour long podcast about headscarves. Oh, did you listen to some of it? Not really. I listened oh, to about okay. two minutes and I was like, I cannot commit to this right now. And then I never looked at it again. So what I was really hoping is that you could summarize it for me. Yes. Okay. So in our last episode, we talked a little bit of a tangent about headscarves in church and why women wear them and what that what's that about? And so both of us had heard something about the angels, which is in the epistle, 1 Corinthians 11 something, the part about man is ahead of the woman, <laughs> as God is ahead of Christ. And then it goes on into what women should uh, do about how they should look in church, specifically about their hair and about head coverings. So this podcast is by Father Stephen DeYoung. He is a priest in the Antiochian Archdiocese. And he is a convert like me, and he comes from the Reformed tradition of Protestantism. He also from a sort of a lineage, in fact, of biblical scholars. And so he brings a lot of his knowledge, which includes like formal education. I think he's got one PhD and he's working on another one, something like that, to the scriptures. Kind of in his podcast, he just goes line by line through the, I think he started in the Gospels on Ancient Faith Radio, his podcast on Ancient Faith Radio, and um, now he's into the epistles. And I cannot recommend his po- his podcast or his blog, which is called The Whole Council of God and blog, and then the podcast is called The Whole Council of God. I cannot recommend it enough. Every time I come away from it, just so joyful and excited and like interested in learning more. And I grew up reading my Bible So a lot of the things that he talks about, you know, connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament and, you know, the Psalms to this part of the gospel, I recognize the verses and the connections mean that much more to me because I'm kind of aware of what he's talking about. And it is just a gift. It's such a great podcast. And so... After our conversation about head coverings, I went to see if he had covered that that section of the epistle, and he had, and it's a great podcast um, episode. He explains that, first of all, as far as headship, it's important to um, follow that whole thread, like the man is ahead of the woman, the way that God is ahead of Christ. So God and Christ are not separate. <laughs> They're, you know, the Trinity, one in essence and indivisible. So there's no room for interpretation in that text for the kind of hierarchical male-dominating female dynamic that is so present in particularly the fundamentalist Baptist church that I was in for a while, but also in a lot of other places in churches in America and in evangelicalism in general and in you know it's crept into I think some other places in some areas or some groups in Catholicism and um, such. So there's that and then he talks about hair. So it turns out that hair had a really erotic association in ancient times and it was understood that if a woman had long like healthy good hair that she was very like sexually available. And so, and like 
very fertile. And so... Okay. Can I just jump in and say that fertile and sexually available are not the same thing? No, but it was, it was, if it was displayed, it, it was. Okay. So they, so they took that to mean that someone was sexually available. Uh huh. If it was displayed in, in an abundant way. And he did mention that if a woman's head it was shaved, that was sort of like a nod to an effort to keep from becoming pregnant. So that would be seen in like a prostitute, a way that you could sort of try to reduce your fertility as a woman. So, and that's why that's brought up in, in that passage about, you know, a woman's head, you know, if it's shorn, it's, it's a shameful thing. And so women in the church, St. Paul wants to make it very clear that in Christian worship, it is not in any way like uh, pagan worship where often sexual acts were incorporated into the into the acts of worship or acts of devotion to the gods. So St. Paul is making it very clear to the Christians in Corinth that that has no place in Christian worship. And because, like I said, um, if the hair was on display, that was for purposes of like, sexual availability. That's why women in church, their hair should be covered because that's not the place for that. I buy all of that. And like, I'm happy with that. But why then do we still need to cover our heads when that's not the cultural assumption anymore? Well, I think for one, for one thing, although we don't associate quite as intimately like long, luscious hair and fertility in this modern age, it is, I mean, like, I I don't know, like, I remember reading, I think, like, Glamour magazine or something, some theorizing as to why often men in general prefer women with long hair or long hair on women and having something to do with the associating it with fertility or, like, sexual goodness or something. And so I think, I think more than we maybe fully realize that association, that context exist to this day in some ways. I don't so think it's I, like a biological mating thing. Well, I, I think that was what the what the article like the glamour was sort of putting forth. I don't know if that's the reason or if you know, maybe there is some some connection. I don't know. But also the passage in Corinthians goes on to talk about how we cover our heads for the angels. And Father Stephen talked about this and then I read several other sources on the internet that confirms that a lot of interpretation and scholarship on this passage believe that it's referring to a time way back in Genesis 6, I think, when there were a group of angels who beheld the beauty of a woman on earth and wanted to be with them. And they left God, they rebelled against him, and entered into sexual relationships with women. Okay, wait and a second. Is that the Nephilim? I think so. Because that's in the Madeline Lengel book, Many Waters, which is my favorite of the series. Okay. Okay, go on. So, and this is in particular where what are referred to as giants in the Old Testament. This is where they come from. And so it's understood that it's acknowledging in this passage that there is a there is a an association, I guess, like this uh, potential for evil to come about or wrong things to happen from angels desiring mortal women, I guess. And so for the 
sake of the angels that when the times passed, when um, in liturgical or like worshipful acts in the ancient times, women associated with angels in a sexual way in the context of worship, that that is not to be happening in Christian worship. And also I read in another place on the internet that, you know, women covering their hair in church sort of bears witness to the presence of angels in the church with us. And and so I think in that way, it, it kind of makes sense. There was a time when there were problems arose in ancient times from this, and it's not it's not a thing that should be happening. <laughs> and for that reason, women cover their hair in church. And so, yeah, that kind of, I think that sums it up. And the only thing I other wanted to say about that, I did a little bit of reading, like, just secular um, sources, scholarship on hairdressing in the Roman Empire. And it pointed out that the elaborate hairstyles that women of the Roman Empire wore, which, by the way, Corinth was a city where... It was like the Roman way of life was pretty widespread. It was not like a conservative, like mostly Jewish place of, of like lifestyle and practice. It was very Roman. And pointed out that those hairstyles were made possible by the existence of slavery in the empire. Mm-hmm. That... There, there weren't really mirrors or good access to them. And so for these very elaborate like braids and twists and this hair styling to be accomplished, it had to be done by slaves. And that kind of made me think about modesty in, the, in modern times and how we, maybe not necessarily our hair, although I, I did ask my hairstylist one time about how much extensions cost. Oh, it's a cool $1,000 just to get them put in. And then about three months later, you have to have them moved up because your hair grows out and that's another about 750. So, you know, <laughs> elaborate hairstyles exist to this day and maybe some of us have thought about getting them, but only to be shocked by the <laughs> by the price. But also about our like our clothing, thinking about maybe we should be thinking about what we wear to church, what we wear in our everyday life and if it is made possible by sort of uncompensated or improperly compensated work in other parts of the world. And maybe that's something that we should think about when we talk about modesty. It's beyond just what we wear or how we wear it, but also like where it comes from and how it's made and who makes it. Just a thought. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like those reasons resonate more with me than the angels thing, because I thought the angels were sexless. I mean, that they weren't male or female. I think that is, well, I'm trying to remember. I think I did hear a little bit about that before. And it's not, I think, I think it's the better way to think about the angels is like the monastic life, right? Oftentimes when we talk about monastic life, it's called the angelic life. Yeah. And I think that maybe a more way think of it like it's it's a life dedicated to god in worship and prayer and it's not like a a lack of something but it's like a a different way of being if that makes Mm -hmm. sense all right 
I guess I'm going to go do a little bit more research on this because I'm, again, I am open to being convinced. I feel like it is a different experience when I put a scarf on in church. I do, I do feel that. And I feel like making a physical gesture, I do feel like submitting to that, the act of submission is a good thing. Um, but so many of the like so many of these justifications just don't make sense to me. And you know, sometimes like things in our religion just won't make sense to us, maybe because we're like we're not there yet or whatever, but but I do feel that I, I you know, I feel like I'm not the first person to ask this question and there have to be answers that will be satisfying. Yeah, I think I think that's true with a lot of things about the faith. I think if we don't understand something or doesn't make sense the first response should be asking questions and learning more i think you know i think too like if we if we believe the church about things like the incarnation the resurrection the the sacraments uh, baptism and holy communion and everything that the church teaches us and then we're like i you know they got it they got it wrong over here like it's all one of a, it's all part of a whole. So, well, yes and no. I'm not saying that mistakes have, you know, perhaps there have been times when mistakes have been made and the church has corrected them, but it's all, it's all part of a whole. And I believe that it's part of the whole, but there are also traditions that arise from cultural issues. Mm-hmm. And we have to ask, like, if, if this cultural issue doesn't exist, is this something we need anymore? I'm not talking about the liturgy, you know? Um, right. Yeah. I mean, if we wanted to get really concrete about it, we could talk about the old believers and look at all of the things they do. Like they wear special clothes to church. They have to wear a particular kind of headscarf and so on and so forth. And it's like, sure, that is part of their tradition and they do it in piety and I'm sure so for that reason it's blessed but at the same time like it shouldn't be a prerequisite for someone coming to church I've also been in a very controlling church where people got caught up in kind of shiny new traditions that they weren't familiar with oh it's like those traditions are not necessary for your salvation and we shouldn't be so quick to adopt things just for the sake of tradition. Anyway, I, I don't think headscarves fall under this category. I think it's something that warrants even more investigation and conversation. To all of those folks out there listening who may be scandalized, please note that I do wear a headscarf to church. And I usually do, but sometimes I don't because we go to an OCA parish and they're not very strict about that. Well, I also, I don't think anyone should be strict about it. I think we, people should just do it like of their own volition. But I will say the only time I haven't worn a headscarf recently was because it was just too much to handle my a headscarf, like keeping a scarf on my head while dealing with a face mask and my glasses fogging up. And I have giant glasses and they also will sometimes slip off my face and they're fogging up because of this mask, which I have to wear and I have to keep my child under control and make sure that her mask is on. And I was like, I just cannot do this today. <laughs> I capacity. I yeah. feel you. I would just say, I think too, about as far as submission, I don't think that's, I don't feel like that's necessarily the right word or the right attitude about it. Also, it just has negative connotations for me. So maybe that's why, but, but I think that, you know, like 
humility and devotion, more like that, you know, accepting it as a small, you know, a small act of devotion. And then, I mean, if the scriptures are to be taken as they seem to be written, then, you know, it is, in fact, for the sake of the angels. And it's okay not to fully get everything that the angels are. It seems that most encounters with them among humans are very overwhelming. <laughs> but, but you know, I do like the idea of wearing them is sort of bearing witness to the, their presence mm-hmm. with us. I think that's something that's easy to forget, especially if you're a mother, a young mother like us, and, you know, your children are climbing on the benches and, and like, you know, toting prayer books around back and forth, back and forth, and then making a run for the, the what's it called? The bread after and, and teeter on? Is that something? Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. My, my boys are obsessed with it. it. Like if they, I think they taste the holiness. I mean, like it's just dry bread, but, and we don't make them fast before Holy Communion either, but they love it and covet it. And the baby, little Roman, tries to sneak up and get a handful of it after he's already been through once, and sometimes <laughs> more than once. And they're obsessed with it. If you tell them, oh, we're about to get bread, they calm down and are good, Susie. It's so weird. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think, you know, when you're, it's easy to forget the presence of the angels when, you know, you're chasing your child, you know, trying to keep them from tipping over the anteater on plate and, and, or like everybody has to pee one after the other. You have to whisper very loudly, I have to pee. And then you have to either accompany them or uh, trust that they will not get into mischief on the way. And I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. <laughs> and all this stuff. And it's hard to it's hard to, to keep in that space. And, then, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's just real life. But but the angels are there. And that's so beautiful thing to think about. It is. Well, that got pretty hairy. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> that's not allowed we don't do puns here Susie <laughs> take your puns somewhere I'm gonna, else I'm gonna have to leave the podcast then <laughs> <laughs> well I feel like we're probably coming up to time so maybe we should wrap it up yeah um sure Wait. well I do recommend that you listeners check out Father Stephen DeYoung's podcast The Whole Council of God on HM Faith Radio. And I forget what specific number podcast it was that addressed this particular passage in Corinthians. It's in 1 Corinthians, I think 11, the second part of that chapter. Yes. Aren't, he says it much better than me. Aren't we um, also saying what we're reading right now at the end yeah. of the episode? Yeah. Let's not say reading and watching because I might not be yeah. uh, reading as much as I'm watching. Okay. Dear gentle listener. Okay, so I am I'm reading trash this week. I'm rereading Crazy Rich Asians for like the 90th time because I love it. Say that again. What's it called? Crazy Rich Asians. It's it's I re- I've seen the movie. Yes, it's a great movie. It's a better book. Oh. Um, but I love immersing myself in that world. Uh-huh. And I just watched the film The Farewell. Which oh, uh-huh. Did you have you seen it? I heard the interview way back when, or the, the story on, I think, NPR. And then I saw a movie was made of this story. Wonderful movie. I really, really enjoyed it. And as someone who's lived in Beijing, like, it was just a pleasure to get to go visit for, you know, an hour and a half or whatever it was. When did um, you live in Beijing? 
I lived in Beijing 2003 to 2004. Yeah, I mean, I've visited Beijing plenty, but it's one of those cities that's like a second home to me. I just really love and miss it. And I mean, it's changed so much now that I, uh-huh. I can't think of it quite the same way, but it's really, it's an amazing place. Was that between high school and college? That was my senior year of high school. I spent my senior year of high school abroad. Oh, wow. That's the thing? Have we never talked about this? I don't think so. Is this like an exchange student, but like the other way? No, actually, it is a program unto itself. It's called School Year Abroad. And it's a nonprofit that's been around since like the 60s, I want to say. They have programs in... France, Germany, Spain, Italy, and China. And actually their numbers for students, they have their own programs and the kids live with host families. And in the case of the China program, we actually were on one floor of a Chinese school. So we're in the school. Oh, okay. And living with host families. I think the other sites have their own buildings, but we did not. And China is definitely the most challenging of those locations, and it was completely worth it. I loved it. I had a great experience. My Mandarin was excellent. It is no longer excellent, but I still have a deep affinity for the language and the food and the people and the culture. It's just one of my deep, deep passions. And The Farewell was a fantastic film that explored cultural difference Mm -hmm. and um, gave a real flavor for China. Oftentimes, like the people talk about how no one can ever really understand China. They just, people think so differently. The culture is so different. And I'm like, it's not. So I firmly believe that our language defines our thought and our way of thinking. And I think that the Chinese language just, it's a, di- it's a different, literally a different way of thinking. And once you understand the language, you can get a much tighter feel for the culture. Beautiful. But in this if in this movie, a young woman who immigrated when she was very small goes back to China to see her grandmother who is dying but doesn't know it. And the the family, in accordance with their cultural customs and ideals, has decided not to tell her that she's dying. And so this this Americanized young woman comes back and she doesn't understand why they're not telling her and she really wants to be near her grandmother, and so she goes along with what the family wants, but very reluctantly. And so there's this push-pull between the two cultures mm-hmm. um, joined by a family connection. So it was a really good movie. I recommend it. I also love Aquafina. I think she's hilarious, and she's just a very gifted actress. Oh, and fun fact, she went to SUNY Albany at the same time as my husband. So although I don't know that he ever met her, they were on campus at the same time. <laughs> wow. Look where they ended up. Yep. <laughs> okay, so what are you reading and or watching? I am still working my way through that book called Boundaries. It's a New York Times bestseller, and it's by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. And I think a better title actually would be How to Love Other People Well. And it really has changed or expanded my view of relationships and how to be in them and how to enter deeper into them in a way that is life-giving to you and to other people. And so I think I think sometimes actually the word boundaries might be a little bit 
of a obstacle. <laughs> well, I guess it would be boundaries are in fact an obstacle, but an obstacle in the, in the way, in the way of like um, embracing them. I think the word boundaries may be in fact an obstacle to embracing the concept sometimes. And it's not about keeping people away from us or keeping people out of our life or like blocking off even part of our life from other people. It's more about how to be with people and in relationship with people in a way that is honoring them and honors you. And I think that's really beautiful. I would say from an Orthodox perspective, some of the, some of the things that are examples that are given in the book, which is uses a lot of scripture and verses from the Bible to sort of explain what they're trying to say. But some of them I think are a little bit like they shouldn't say. Like there was one about boundaries within the Trinity and how like the f- don't do that. Don't yes. bring the Trinity into it. Leave that alone. Yes. And there are a few other little things here and there that I felt like were were not really according to our faith and our like the way that we are in relationship as Orthodox Christians. But by and large, it's really good and helpful and eye-opening and I would say life-giving uh, in the best way. And I'm, about, I'm about halfway through, and I think we will have a podcast about it, but I'd like to finish it first so I have a good grasp of the, of the content and also can talk in an informed way about boundaries. Yay. I So if you heard clicking, it's because I was looking it up so I can buy it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's worth a buy. I think, it's, I think everybody should read it. I think, honestly, I think like this would be a little bit of a game changer in ecclesiastical relations. You know, I, I, I was thinking about, I was just kind of extrapolating this and maybe this is not the, not the right direction to take it, but I was thinking about church and how I have a terrible habit when I was able to go of arriving late and that that is part of the culture, especially in, in Russian churches. I think it's not uncommon in other Orthodox churches as well. Mm-hmm. People come in whenever they want and hustle and bustle around and buy candles and chit chat. And there are parts of the service when it's actually strictly, it, according to the you know order of the liturgy, it's strictly forbidden to come in the church and to leave the church. The door should be closed and that there should not be in and out during those times. But that's not really observed often. And I was thinking out loud to Victor, you know, what if we had sort of a policy in churches that, you know, the, the doors close at the beginning of liturgy and the choir is closed at the beginning of liturgy. You know, I think it's nonsense. It's a nonsense when the choir starts out with like two voices at the beginning of liturgy. And then by like the gospel, you've got like a full choir. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. I I mean, I agree, but my, our choir has a policy of you have to arrive by the third antiphon to, to in order to sing and I, I feel like that's fair like the second or third end of you know no, like by the beginning of liturgy when people start singing that's when I mean I'm, I'm the chiefest <laughs> of sinners and I'm not afraid to say that I'm the chiefest sinners in this but you know what we can hold ourselves to a higher standard and I think the church could actually help us in that you know what if like the what if like the doors were shut locked at the be- you know when, right when liturgy starts and the candle counter is closed for the rest of liturgy, and the doors could be opened again right before the gospel, maybe, and then closed again until right before Holy Communion. And, 
You know, I think people would maybe step up their act a little bit, but it, even if they didn't, it would, it would kind of show reverence and acculturate us to the in, importance of what is happening. And I think it would also sort of change our attitude a little bit because I do think we come often to church like with the idea that church is there for us and not so much that we're there for church, if that makes sense. It does. I I just think I think there is there is a good intention there that's not necessarily going to work. <laughs> and I mean, I think my inclination these days is always to be less strict because of my bad experience with with a church a group that was kind of controlling, and to also like be forgiving and to to allow a space for people who aren't able to be there for the whole of liturgy. Like at my, at my old church, Holy Epiphany, my home parish, there was this couple who had a little boy who for some reason was absolutely terrified of church. And they brought him all the time. It wasn't like an acclamation thing, like something about church that was very scary for him. So literally anytime they brought him into church, he would scream the entire time. So they would mm-hmm. Stay in the basement with him and switch off going upstairs, and then they would bring him up for communion. And like they would try, they would try all the time, but the reality was just they couldn't keep him in there. Um, or in my own family, I have a family member who's on the spectrum, and he needs to move around, he has to go in and out. And that's just, you know, it would not be bearable for him or his parents mm-hmm. otherwise. You know, I don't know if they could set better boundaries because I'm not them. But my impression is that they've done what they can. Mm -hmm. And this is just the solution that works for them. Yeah, I feel like I feel like your your suggestion is more for like a monastic ideal (laughs) or like or like for a parish where nobody has children. (laughs) Right. But I will I will say that like the way that Orthodox people arrive at church would be honestly scandalous to most Protestants because people arrive on time and are present in their places before the service starts. And if you were late, everybody noticed because it was quiet and everybody was sitting down. And it's not that you would be shamed for it or something like that, but it it was people expected it of themselves Mm -hmm. to be there. And to be in their places and ready for what was about to happen. And they don't even believe in the things that we believe. They don't believe that, you know, the angels are with us. They don't believe that that in a mystical way Christ is present with us. And that is, you know, like Holy Communion, if they even have it, is symbolic at best. But they still have the will to be to be there on time and to be in their places and to be respectful in that way. I think we could probably step up our game, you know? I think we could step it up. I don't, I don't know that we could step it up to quite what you were suggesting, but I think at a bare minimum, I was always told you must be in church before the gospel. If you want <laughs> to go to Holy Communion. Yeah. Um, I think that's like the bare minimum for me. And then also in the parish where I grew up, Holy Epiphany, the candle counter had a sign and mm-hmm. they would just, so the sign would be face down when you were allowed to buy candles. And then when it was an important part of the service or time when you're not supposed to move around, they would just turn the sign right side up and it would say, 
purchases at the candle counter and movement around the church are not allowed at this time. Mm-hmm. Did anybody pay any attention to that? Yeah, I mean, well, you weren't, you couldn't buy candles. And then, right. Did people talk during that time? Did people converse? They talk about things? At the back, a bit. But at the front, people are pretty well behaved because the babushki would come up and like yell at them if they were <laughs> trying to kiss the icon. <laughs> well, you know, I've certainly talked in church before. I'm not going to act like I haven't. But, but, you know, I think if we cultivated more of a culture where like we just didn't do that, then it would be easier. I agree with that. But I think that I think that cultivating a culture doesn't have to be super legalistic or without uh, exception. Well, I mean, people can still come in. They just have to wait a little bit. <laughs> Maybe we'll just agree to disagree. And this is why this is like, welcome to America. Hello, all of the jurisdictions <laughs> and different ways of doing things. Okay. So. The third season of Marcella dropped on Netflix. Have you watched that? I haven't. Should I? Yeah, it's really good. And so I just started the first episode of this third season. Mm. Yeah, it is a gritty detective, like police, one, you know, like murder oh. per season. And it's a, it's a grittier than uh, Broadchurch, if that gives you any idea. Oh, wow. Okay. What about Luther? Is it grittier than Luther? Have you watched Luther? I haven't watched that. I loved it. Luther is really good, though. The villain is a woman, and she's amazing. Ah, okay. And how often do you get, like, a really good female villain? Like, a three-dimensional female villain? Yeah, not often. Not often. In movies. Okay, gang. This has been Beauty Will Save the World. I'm Samantha Lviv, saying, stay golden, pony boy. Thanks for joining us. All right. Follow us on all the things. Should we think this episode will be fit for broadcast, Susie, or did I get too controversial talking about sex and hair and (laughs) worry more about people coming after me because I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. It's fine. I hope I was just accurately representing the thoughts that Father Stephen had. I don't want to botch it. Well, you know what? We can always issue a correction. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I said what I said. Okay. If, if you give people a chance to make you re-say something, I'm not, I'm just kidding. You know, obviously, if I mess something up, <laughs> be heresy, then I want to correct it. At the very least, ideally censor it. But if I can't, I will correct it. Thank you each and every one for joining us today. We would love to continue this conversation with you on our Patreon linked Slack channel. We have the Patreon so that for once, the trolls will have to pay a toll to spew obscenities and call us prostitutes. But we want to cultivate a community there that we can grow towards in person, real life friendships. Please share the podcast with someone you think will like it. And if you liked it, please rate it on iTunes or wherever. If you did not like it, please keep your opinions to yourself. Also, please pray for us. Thanks and talk with you all soon. Bye.